0: If you could all just uh, finish up your conversations, I'm sure we can continue them afterwards. We will, uh, we will crack on with the, the gospel reading. Alrighty, uh, we are reading from uh, John chapter 15, verses 12 to 18. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thanks, Dan. Will we take a moment to uh, pray to our Heavenly Father before we enter His word? Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of revelation through your word to us. Thank you that you have spoken. Would you so prepare our hearts to hear and receive now for the sake of your Son's name. Amen. Who here remembers secret shoppers? Who here remembers secret shoppers? Um, they're kind of like low-grade spies that sneak into places of work, and they assess you. They come in, they ask all sorts of questions, assess your performance report back to whoever they're working for. Horrible people, really. Um, I worked at Boost Juice um, when I was 14. I've since stopped working there. And we had secret shoppers come and visit quite regularly. Now. For some reason, um, we, we always like, were tipped off when they were coming. And so it was brilliant. So you'd be aware, like, hey, Tuesday, secret shopper coming. And so um, we'd be ready to go for when they arrived. And they would come, and they would order something. And then they would change the order and add, ask questions about this and that. And Usually they had some kind of goofy hat as like it's a disguise or something. And um, Except this one time, we didn't get a heads up that the secret shopper was coming. And then we got the feedback from the boss So, it turns out we were playing punk rock music, dancing and laughing so hard that we were late to the front counter, and it was noted that we threw the jugs across at an unsafe distance. Now, I had questions about what qualifies as a safe distance, but that turned out to miss the point. Well, it made me wonder about secret shopping. I wonder if Jesus had one of his friends do a secret shopper visit to Coomera Baptist Church. There are some visitors here today. You may be the secret shopper. I wonder what this friend's experience would be. I wonder what they would know. I wonder what they would learn. I wonder how the people would interact and engage with them. I wonder how they might be treated. Now, imagine this secret shopper doesn't remain a secret. Imagine the secret shopper actually tells the people around, I'm one of Jesus' friends. And so, how might we respond knowing that Jesus' friend is coming to visit today? One of His friends is here amongst us. How might we show them love? How would we treat them? How would we actually seek to accommodate such a person, even at our own expense? Because after all, this is Jesus' friend. Well, we're in a passage here today where Jesus is not only calling His disciples friends, But more potently, he's calling them to love one another. If last week we looked at the vine, our relationship to Jesus as branches to the vine, this week we are seeing our relationship to other branches. That's right, people to your left and to your right, branches, that's how you can think of them. This morning, we are surrounded by friends of Jesus, whom He has called us to love. And that call to love one another really is, I think, the, this, the central idea of this passage. In verse 17, He says, the third time now, in, in this upper room discourse, these things I command you so that you love one another. Now, question for you, does something in your heart hearing the word command kind of make you go, oh, maybe a little bit of hesitation, Well, it depends on what the command is, right? Imagine your boss says to you, I command you, knock off early today, everyone. In fact, take an extra week holiday. Parents, maybe if you commanded your children, I command you, it's Easter, eat the chocolate bunnies and eat the Easter eggs. Enjoy. So commands can be good. It depends what the the command is. Secondly, you maybe also depend on uh, who's giving the command. Is this command coming from a dictator? who doesn't have my interest in mind, not keen. Is this command coming from someone who's beneath me in rank? What authority do you have to give me a command? Friends, the command we have this morning is coming from the Lord Jesus, who does outrank us, but He also has our best interests in mind. In fact, Jesus is in the business of loving His disciples with the same intensity of love that He is loved by the Father. And so filling them, brimming with joy. He's spending here, in the context here, his last hours on this earth, pouring out his love to them before he dies, sorry. If Jesus' love is like a fire hose, he has opened it full burst. He's loving them to the utmost. So imagine being there in the room with the disciples. Picture Jesus passing on his words. He's washed your feet. You've heard about the Holy Spirit. You're hearing about how there's a place in heaven that's saved for you and that, that through Christ you will get there. Your heart is full. Your soul is satisfied. And so he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. I imagine this commandment would have been heard with such sweetness, such delight, a room brimming with love. It's good to be loved, isn't it? And it's good to love. See that my love for you fuels your love for others, says Jesus. It comes as a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an optional extra you can add in, like protein powder at Boost Juice. It's a commandment. Love one another. And so if love one another is the outline of the picture, Jesus fortunately has given us hundreds of smaller commands to fill the picture in with color. What are these commands? Well, they're the bold colors of abiding in him. Remaining in him, obeying his word, the wide range of colors you could say of obeying Jesus' commands, as recorded in the Gospel of John, to receive him, feed on him, believe in him, believe in God, and maybe the pastels and the vibrancy of the other hundreds of commands that Jesus gives, as recorded throughout the Gospels and indeed the Bible itself forgive one another, be kind to one another, repent. Love God, be cheerful, await my return, follow my example, shine my light. By keeping these commandments, we walk in love towards one another. God's commands are good, like a sharp knife. They are best not to be blunt or dulled, otherwise they don't do what they're supposed to do. And Jesus is saying, as you do what I've commanded, you will love one another, and so abide in me, and so produce fruit that will last. So here's what I want us to do this morning. As we look at this passage, I want this passage to fuel our love for one another. I want us to go from neglect to intent. I want you to wake up with eager expectation to love these people in the church. I want you to finish your weeks looking back on the joyful experiences of the ways that you were loved and loved others in the church. I want these believers to be on your mind each week. So how do we do that? Well, I think we can do that by meditating on four truths in this passage. Meditate on Jesus' love for us by thinking of His intensity, His example, His intimacy, and our election. So, the first fuel to put on the fire is to think of love's intensity. Verse 12, look at that. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. I'm not sure what other um, primary schools did in other uh, states or other countries, but in Queensland, We played, before we did proper athletics and sports carnival, we played a game called Tunnel Ball. Um, If you haven't played Tunnel Ball, you're missing out. The goal of the game really is to get a ball, a medicine ball usually. Um, People line up in a row behind one another, and they roll the ball through the legs. The person in the back grabs it. They run to the front, and they go through until everyone has had a turn. This is Tunnel Ball. Well, in one sense, in this passage, there is this movement of passing on the the tunnel ball of love towards one another. Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So there's love from the Father to the Son, then from the Son to the disciples, then from the disciples to one another. If love is that ball, Jesus is saying, let this glorious tunnel ball of love, let let the love through, keep it going. Don't get in its way. Be part of passing it on. He says, love one another as I have loved you. The Bible has already told us to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's not new. Uh, This is better than the human condition, which is love as you like. Love as you like. That's our default as, I think, human beings. Love as you like. Love people as you like them. Love them if you like them. Love them if there's some benefit for you, if they deserve it. If I feel like it, I'll give them a bit, I'll love them a bit, love as you like. That's the human condition. The Bible comes in and says, no, love your neighbor as yourself. Lifts it up. The question is, how do you love yourself? Truth is, rather well. You love yourself enough to feed yourself, to clothe yourself, to have a roof over your head, to want to be patient with yourself, even if you lose impatience with yourself. We love ourselves quite well. The Bible says, love one another with that same kind of intensity, same kind of intentionality, same kind of attention. But that's not the top shelf yet. That's that's not the best kind of love. Jesus isn't um, wanting the disciples to settle. He's actually reaching for the good stuff. And he says, love one another as I have loved you. This now becomes the gold standard of how we are to love. But listen, it also becomes the minimal standard expected of God's people. There's plenty of areas in our lives where we may accept lower standards. what food we eat, where we live, general hygiene. But one standard that must never be lowered is the love you are called to for one another, as I have loved you. You see, love as I like is a fragile kind of love, it's reactive, it's reflexive only when the things around you are lovely, love as you like. Love your neighbor as yourself, though more reliant, still caps love to others as you love yourself, which can be limited. But love as Christ's love, that's top shelf. That's the highest good. This kind of love I think has an inspirational impact on us, a, a kind of aspirational effect to it. It's so grand. His love for us is so glorious. It's so enthralling that it wants to sweep you up in its arms and take you to that place to so love others in like manner. It's true of many of us, though, consciously or unconsciously, we place all kinds of restrictions on the way we love one another convenience, comfort, effort. Jesus only places one. Do you know what he says? It says, love one another as I have loved you. It raises the question, how has Jesus loved us? Have you reflected recently how Jesus loves us? Wholly, fully, completely, patiently, gently, unwaveringly, sacrificially, joyfully eternally, intentionally, genuinely, and we could go on. Fuel number one, friends, for how we love one another is getting the intensity of Christ's love for you into your bones, getting it to sink a little deeper into our souls. Are you aware of that love this morning? Are you fueling yourself with that love? George Mueller, who ran an orphanage on faith, he said the most important business each day was to make himself happy in the Lord every morning. That was his starting point. Rece- happy, get my heart happy in the Lord. Receive his love as fuel for loving one another. We may want Jesus to make exceptions in how we love others. After all, you might think, well, Jesus is divine, he has to love like that. I, I certainly couldn't love like Christ loves. Well, no, but you, you are not Christ, but you do have the same spirit of Christ living inside you. As our Moller says, we are incapable of loving as infinitely as Christ loved us, but we are to love as intentionally and as genuinely as Christ loved us. John, you know, you know, this is this, 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 what this would mean. For Jesus to lower his standard of expectation on our horizontal love to one another, would mean he would have to lower his standard of love towards us. To expect any less from his people would to be expecting less from the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus can't lower his standards. He can't function subpar. And so he calls his people to love in the same intensity as him. That's the first fuel in the fire. Jesus' intensity of love for us. The second field we have is the example of Jesus' love. So his love for us isn't simply inspirational and aspirational. It's actually an example. I think we get inspired by all sorts of uh, examples, particularly when we're young. Growing up in the 90s, uh, we watched some movies called The Mighty Ducks. Um, If if you're a parent, you watch those movies too and you joined in. Um, If you were a child, you watched these movies, The Mighty Ducks, and you had a moment a moment in your life where you thoroughly considered the possibility of playing professional ice hockey. I can, I, that's, that's what we're doing. I know we're in the driest continent in the world, but ice hockey, that's our future. Examples inspire. Or maybe you saw Stephen Bradbury win gold after all the other skaters fell over. If you did that, every Australian, that taught us a lesson. It says, we could win if we simply have a crack. You too could win. Just be in the game. Examples inspire. Well, when it comes to Jesus' example, we get the greatest example of the greatest love. You see what he says there? He says, "Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends." For all the ways that Jesus' disciples might consider how he has loved them, it lands in a concrete example. And it will be shown soon in laying down his life by dying on a cross. They say a friend is someone who gives a hand or gives advice. Jesus says, well, the best a friend can do is give their life. I read about a great act of friendship this week between a guy called Stephen Mensch, who received a liver transplant from his alive friend, uh, Yuki Tasumi. The giving of an organ shows great love between friends. But greater love is in laying down one's life for a friend. Another example of sacrifice I read this week, I came across a story of a girl named Rebecca. The article reads this. When Rebecca was a sophomore in December of 2012, she completed a high school assignment to write a letter to her future self, which included a three-point bucket list. Kiss in the rain, fly to Spain, save a life. Over the course of a high school career, she had checked off the first two items. Her parents had taken her on a trip to Spain. And she'd met a cute boyfriend named Nico, whom she would kiss in the rain. Upon graduation, Rebecca's bucket list was actually returned to her. And it was thought she had been reading it on the night she left it out on her bed on July the 2nd. That night, she went out to watch fireworks with some friends in a nearby town. Around 9pm, when the show was over, she was crossing the street with with her friend Benjamin when a car drove towards them. Rebecca pushed Benjamin, who sustained serious injuries, out of the way. Sadly, she was struck by the car and died, just as she had fulfilled the final item on her list. Kiss in the rain, fly to Spain, save a life. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down your life for a friend. Jesus is preparing the hearts of his disciples to love one another. And he's preparing them for his inevitable destination on a cross where he will lay down his life. He's preparing his disciples to extend love to one another as he himself will be extended on a cross. He's sacrificing everything for these friends whom he dearly loves. Examples inspire, don't they? But can you see now how also great examples also begin to confront us? Jesus has asked you to love as He loved. It's inspiring, but it's also confronting. What ought to be received like a helium balloon to soar and lift us up can sometimes feel like a lead balloon. Love as you love, that feels burdensome, that feels heavy. Friends, this morning, if you've not been floored by the command in front of us to love one another as Christ has loved you, if that has not sent you to the floor, in complete desperation for God's grace, you either A, haven't yet comprehended Christ's love for you, or B, you've put limits on who you love and how far you'd go to love them. This kind of sacrificial love by Jesus is supposed to knock us off our feet so that the grace of God would pick us up and then send us out in loving one another. That's the way it works. That's how His love works. You ask, how does this help us love? I think this helps us love one another because through this example of love, this, this, this sacrifice that Jesus would make to love people, I think as that gets put over our life as a grid, it will expose weaknesses, deficiencies in how unwilling we are to sacrifice for others, He'll give everything. We'll struggle to give a night. He'll lay it all out. We'll struggle to lay down our preferences. Exposes a gap in our love. I think that gap is there to help us create space to receive His grace. And as people have received and tasted His grace and love, we want to then pass it on to others. So we need fuel to love one another. The first fuel is this, Christ's love, his intensity. The second fuel he gives us is his example. The third fuel we get is his intimacy. We get his intimacy. After saying that greater love is laying down your life for a friend, he says, you are my friends. You are my friends. Then he clarifies how his friends behave. They are to do what he commands. I wonder this morning how you might finish this sentence if you were to say, you are truly my friend if you know this about me. You are truly my friend if you spend time with me. You are truly my friend if um, your phone automatically connects to my Wi-Fi. You are truly my friend if you put up with me. Whatever it is, do you know how Jesus finishes the saying to his disciples? You are truly my friend's if you obey my commands. Now, most friendships you've been in probably haven't had that kind of define the relationship chat. At least, I hope not. I'm not sure how well it would go if in many of our friendships we would have the clarifying conversation, if you are my friend, you will do as I command. And if you've been taking that approach and you're wondering why the friends don't stay around, today is an opportunity to change. Jesus... Keeps his place as king in our life. And then he adds to this now the title friend. He refers to us as his friends. Friends who would obey him. You certainly couldn't do the opposite, could you? You couldn't claim to be Jesus' friend. I of Jesus' friends, but not do what he commands. He says, follow me, and you say, no, I'm good. He says... Forgive one another, and you say, I've got other plans. He says, be mindful of others. You go, no, I'm just going to keep a mind on myself. Well, you wouldn't be characterized by Jesus' friends. That's not how his friends behave. What does his friends do? His friends obey his commands. And so you can see the way Jesus is a friend to us isn't exactly the same as our kind of friendships, are they? Worldly friendship here is on, based on mutuality, reciprocity, equality. That's kind of friendships. But here the king has invited us to be his friends. It's important. For whilst, it's important to know, for, for whilst Jesus brings us and brings the disciples into close proximity and intimacy with him, he still retains his position as Lord in their life. Now, it's interesting that in the, Bi- the Bible never refers to God as our friend. The Bible never refers to God as our friend, he's king. His husband, his father, his sovereign, but he's not addressed as friend. But we are called his friends. Now, why is that important? Drew Hunter, who wrote Made for Friendship, he helpfully says, We need to avoid two errors. One error is flippantly calling Jesus a chum or a buddy or a pal as though friendship were trivial. And so so we don't want to trivialize the way we relate to Jesus, as if he's like one of the lads. Sam and I were talking this week, and as people shared their testimonies, I think it was maybe early 2000s, the main way you would speak about Jesus was, Jesus is my best friend. And maybe some song lyrics come to mind. The way you relate to, he's like my best friend, he's always around, he's always there for me. But what it does is it kind of blurs the dynamic. But here's the thing, on the other hand, this is what he says, we we could so emphasize Jesus' kingship that we actually neglect his companionship. We would so emphasize his authority that we don't enjoy his affection. But Jesus offers himself to us as both our cosmic ruler and our closest friend. So there's a tension here. And they aren't opposed to each other. They go hand in hand. What glorious kindness of God. What wonderful compassion Genuine love of Jesus to now refer to his disciples as friends. So what makes someone a friend? Why is it now in this part that he's calling them friends? Now, I don't think when it says, I no longer call you slaves, but friend, I don't think Jesus has been calling them slave. Slave, John, get here. I don't think that's how he's been relating to them. But I think what he's doing here, he's now referring to them as friends, and the explanation is seen in verse 15. Notice he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Two people in the Old Testament called friends of God, Abraham and Moses. What was it about them that referred them as friends of God? They had access to God, and God revealed himself to them in a special way. See, what when it comes to slaves or servants, they are to obey the master regardless if they understand the why. Simon Sinek would be most upset. Well, for a slave, you hear the order, you fulfill the task. But these disciples have been brought all the way in. You see, they've been led into Jesus' plans. And so now he refers to them as friends. It's quite a privilege being brought into someone's plans, isn't it? it? Particularly if those plans are quite grand. Now, don't don't think, you know, the start <laughs> after lunch, if I say, I'm planning to go to lunch, that you're going to be like, Darren, you've brought me all the way in. But maybe you've had a conversation with someone who says, I'm planning to get engaged. Or um, my husband and I are planning to have a baby. Brought into their plans. Access. Special privilege, special position. It's a, it's a privilege to be brought into someone's plans. What plans have we been brought into? We've been brought into the whole picture of the cosmic plans and purposes from eternity past to eternity future. You might want to get the inside track into what's happening in the social world out now. You might want to get inside track into the housing market or to cryptocurrencies, stock market. What's, gonna, what's, what's happening there? But friends, we've been invited in disciples of Jesus, to his cosmic plans. He's revealed it. Jesus isn't telling them just what to do, but he's telling them why to do it and what's going to happen and why it's going to happen. He's telling them why he must suffer. Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's telling them, I'm telling you the Father's plans. I'm telling you what's going to happen next. I'm telling you that someone's going to betray me. I'm telling you this so you can stand firm. I'm telling you so you're not left in the dark I'm pouring out my love to you. I'm bringing you into my plans. Jesus here is getting as close as he can to his disciples. He's bringing them into his deepest desires, deepest plans. His plans involve his lasting love to them. His plans involve his unconditional friendship to them. Tim Keller said once, um, a characteristic of a friend is someone who always lets you in. Someone always lets you in. That's what Jesus is doing here with his disciples. He's he's let them all the way in. He's not holding back. He's loving them to the uppermost. Loved ones this morning ask, do you value the revelation that Jesus has given you through his word? That God, who became man, would give of his life, would die and rise again, and so herald that good news and see dead people come to life. Jesus, the King of kings, has said, this is what I'm up to in the world. In the believer's heart, then, I think our response ought to be, well, if this is what you're up to in the world, I want to get on board with your plans and purposes. I don't want to kind of submit some modifications to what your plans are, but rather I want to submit under them so as to be part of seeing them fulfilled, playing my part. Jesus, if if you're laying down your life to show love towards people, I've got to lay down my life to show love towards people. If this is what life is ultimately about, if that's our grand purpose, Lord, would you align me to that? You'll see how this fuels our love, intimacy with Jesus, knowing his plans and purposes. Listen, friends, I'm not sure what your plans and purposes are for your life, but they're not as good as the gospel being unfolding in the world. Whatever legacy you're gonna leave, and we'll look at it in a moment, it's got nothing on the kind of fruit that will last as you orientate your life around loving others and sharing the good news of the gospel, which doesn't even come close. Jesus is bringing you all the way in. So we say, Lord, help me with my plans. Help my plans submit to your plans. Mine are too small. My love is too weak. My goal's too selfish. Bring me into your plans. Love me as me as as the Father loves you, and so help me love others. Friends, the fuel that we have, number three, is intimacy. He's brought us all the way in. He's brought us into His plans. His plans involve the loving of others. Lastly, then the fuel of election, verse 16. The fuel of election, don't freak out. Verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I'm not sure um, if you've been chosen for for many good things in your life. I'm not sure if you've been chosen for any sporting teams or chosen to be captains, captain at school. Um, brother and sister got that privilege. I missed out and processing the bitterness to this day. Most kind of choices you make or cho- are, are kind of based on, well, if you've been picked for some, it's usually based on merit, isn't it? Olympic swim team, well, they're going to choose who's the fastest. The next CEO appointment, well, who's the best to do the job? So how is it that we ended up in God's great plans of salvation? Because there's no self-select option. You can't tick that box yourself and then slot on in as if you now identify as part of God's people. what actually happens is we actually got placed in the privilege of God's economy because He chose us. Like Israel before them, they were chosen according to God's purposes, not personal merit or performance or sincerity. In fact, it's usually in spite of them. Listen to Deuteronomy 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Lord your God has chosen you, says Israel, to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. Israel, you're not special. That's not why I chose you. I chose you because I chose you. Abraham didn't choose God. God chose Abraham and took him out of the land of Ur, the Chaldeans. He chose the patriarchs. He chose the nation. God's free and sovereign electing love is at His good and glorious discretion. And He chose these disciples. Now, you might observe Darren, but these disciples clearly decided to follow Jesus. That's true. That is true. They did decide to follow Jesus upon His invitation and upon His selection after He went and prayed. And He chose for them. Now, the biblical language regarding our salvation or our coming to Jesus, interesting, once again, it's never referred to as us choosing God. We might have used that language. We might say, I chose to decide, I chose to follow Jesus. I went down, I I chose to become a Christian. But the language the Bible actually uses, that's reserved for God. The language we get is receive, inherit, believe, repent. It's responsive language. Why? because there is a more fundamental chooser going on, and it is God. God saving a people for Himself. God having a plan and a purpose for choosing people. Now, there might be more questions you have around that. and We wouldn't want to get sidetracked from the the intensity and the love and the joy that these disciples have been chosen by Jesus. And so we'll stay on track. And If you have further questions, we can talk later. So how does God's choosing of us fuel our love towards one another? How does that actually help us? Well, the first way it helps us, I think, is humility. So they're they're in this position as friends, not because of anything, any merit of their own, but simply because Jesus chose them by his own good, free will. I think a right way to get off on the wrong foot in a relationship is to think that you're there because you're bringing lots to the table. That, gee, this friend is lucky to have you. Gee, if this friend just knew how much, how good I am, I get back to their text message every time. I even leave send receipts on so they know I've read it and they can retire me, I get back quick. They're lucky to have a friend like me. Friend, well, if that's the case, then you're in some position of power to broker as you please. But, but if, if, you're, if your choice by God is due to His sovereign free will, then friends, there's deep humility. Secondly, though, it means you've got deep security. So if if you think you chose God because of something you brought to the table, then you got to make sure you better keep putting that on the table. Because if you start bringing that to the table, maybe He's going to push you away from the table. So you don't live with security. But if I'm part of God's family, I'm called a friend of His because He decided to set His love upon me. Then what great security do I have? He's made amends for all my mistakes. He's placed me in the Father's hand and none can snatch them out. Humility, security. Thirdly, I think it shows purpose. I think some people can choose religions based on the benefits that they deem attached to them. And so some people can see Christianity and think, oh yeah, these Christians, they, this Christianity thing has some benefits. I think I might choose to follow it see how it goes so I can get some of the benefits. Generally speaking, nice bunch of people. Uh, generally speaking, some direction for my life, I think I'll choose Christianity. And so if you focused on your choice, you kind of decide what you do with the choice and how the kind of conditions will go for this choice you've made. But if God chooses us, then friends, he gets to decide why he chose us and what for? His purposes. What does he say? But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Now, if you listen closely to that passage, you'll hear a faint whisper of the Great Commission. Chosen by God to go and make disciples, to go and bear fruit. That word appoint means to be put in place. Friends, Jesus has put you in place to go and bear fruit in this world. The choices we make have purposes in mind, and Jesus has a position and purpose for his choice, and it's that we would go, go and bear fruit. Um, French, the French football superstar, Killian Mbappe, he was signed to a French team, um, Paris. Uh, I practice saying these. Saint-Germain, or as we say in Australian, Paris Saint-Germain. Now he was selected for $128 million a year on a three-year contract. He had the French president pleading that he would stay there. The French president's pleading, stay there. Apparently, he wouldn't have, he'd not have to keep working in the extra two years. Um, sorry, inside joke, uh, French politics. Um, so here's the thing, as what, what, so he gets selected, he, he gets chosen for a purpose, $128 million a year, and I tell you what, he's not selected to go and sit on the bench. Paying $128 million a year, grab a seat. You'll be good for the promotion the press. See, the election has purpose to it. Play football, get to work. So what is it that we've been chosen for? Friends, it's to go and bear fruit. What is this fruit? Sam unpacked two weeks ago, the fruit really is is kind of a a big bucket, we'll say a big bucket, of godly living and ministry, of life and, and ministry, godly living and life and ministry. I think here, though, it has a finer point of evangelistic fruit. That is, that is to say, by living godly lives in loving one another, you will so herald, obeying Jesus' commands, herald the gospel, and others will hear of the love of Christ and so be welcomed into the family and so be the kind of fruit that lasts. Do you see? We're loved by God and so we walk in godly character. We love one another and so people get to know that we are Jesus' disciples and that they too repent from their sins and enter this ring of love. After all, we're here today because the disciples testified to this gospel news and they made disciples who made disciples and thousands of years later we are the fruit that abides here in the northern gold coast region fruit that will last fruit that abides kind of love between one another this is what the second century church father Tertullian noted he noted as um as christianity was spreading through the roman empire in the second century There began to be opposition from um, other pagans in the world. And he he writes this letter, and he, he says this. He says, It is mainly the deeds of love so noble that lead many to put a brand on us. See how they love one another. See how they're ready even to die for one another. That's what the early Christians are known for. See how they love one another. Look at them. They're prepared to die for one another. What crazy people. Well, that's being Christian. It's normal Christianity. That's just walking in the commandment to what Jesus is said to do. Yeah, of course we would. Why? Well, because that's what he did for us. The kind of love is so self-evident. You don't have to be particularly skilled or particularly gifted or particularly talented to be part of leaving a lasting legacy. You just got to respond in faith to God. The world will tell you that you need to stand out, make a name for yourself, Climb the ladder, chase your dreams, gather followers, excel in every way. Jesus says, remain in me, obey my word, love one another. And you'll leave a legacy that will outlast the greatest empires in this world. How does this electing love of God feel love to one another? Friends, it says that people do not need to earn your love or deserve your love. His free electing love of these people is the platform for our free unbridled love towards them. But Darren, I don't know them, so love them. But they don't talk to me, so love them. But they're in a different demographic to me, so love them. But we have different interests, so love them. But I don't wanna be vulnerable so love them, but they don't want to be vulnerable, so love them. Whatever it is, Jesus would respond with, so love them. Whatever excuse, whatever hesitation, whatever explanation we would have for withholding our love, friends, Jesus would say, come and love them. I actually think this is a question of trust. You say, that's interesting. How is loving one another here a question of trust? Well, the question is, do you trust whom God has given you to love? Do you trust who God has given you to love? The young adults here, the singles, the parents, the elderly, do you love them? Because God has seen it fitting to gift them to you as objects for you to love, objects of your affection. What shall we say to him then? Are they not deserving of our love? Those who receive the unmerited favor of God? Are they not fitting for our compassion, our attention, our affection? Friends, he's appointed us to bear fruit that will last and part of that means loving the people and trusting that God has given us the right people to love. Can I ask a question of us this morning? It relates to leaving, leaving a legacy do you want to leave something of a lasting significance? When all is said and done, do you want to leave a legacy, leave something of lasting significance? We have some older saints in our congregation, and I'm sure as time goes on, as their bodies wind down, they're thinking, what have I left behind in this world? And will any of it last? Jesus says, love one another, and you'll bear fruit that will Last. Parents, why give your time to discipling your children through the monotony of day in, day out? Why read the Bible to them, pray with them, bring them to church weekly, lead them in the ways of... Why would you do that? Well, for fruit that lasts. Singles. Why would you maximize your time for the sake of the gospel? Why would you use this season of flexibility to seek first the kingdom, to love and encourage and support others? Why would you do that? For fruit that will last. Fruit that will last. The time is not wasted. Younger Christians, why walk in holiness? Why walk in obedience to Jesus when all your friends are walking somewhere else? Why would you give your time and attention and effort to gathering with God's people, to reading God's Word, to to learning truths? Why would you do that? Fruit that lasts. Christians, why on earth would you set apart to seek to set apart 10% of your money towards supporting gospel ministry? What on earth would make you do that? After all, you could be saving for bigger house deposit. Or renovating the house you've already got? Saving more money? Why why would you seek to do that? When the world is telling you, spend here. Keep more for yourself. You should have more. Why would you do that? Fruit that will last. Jesus has appointed us as his ambassadors to love one another. In hearing the command from the Father giving the command as the son, and then empowering the command by the Spirit. Friends, if we love one another, it will produce fruit that will last. Nothing in this world, no hardship, no loss, no housing market, no uncertainty will prevent it lasting into eternity. That's the promise of Jesus. I've appointed you should go and bear fruit that will last. You want to make your life count? Make disciples. Seek the fruit that will remain well after you're gone. Plant the tree seeds now that are going to provide shade for others. We want to make a lasting impact, let us love one another. I think all this happens through prayer, doesn't it? Abiding in him, knowing his prayers. After all, He, you know his plans. You've been given the inside scoop of what he's doing. And so he said, hey, remain in me. I'll tell you what I'm up to. I'm actually gathering a whole bunch of people from all every tribe, tongue, and nation to myself for all eternity. And I do that as you just tell them the news of my death and resurrection. Really? Really? So I can pray, God, would you save people? Yeah, you can pray that. And that you'll save people through the power of the gospel. Yeah, I'll save people through the power of the gospel. So pray and ask. Abide in Him. Pray prayers to that glorious end. Pray for the power to love one another. Is your love weak this morning? Pray for Christ's strength. Is your love shy? Pray for Christ's courage. Is your love unreliable? Pray for Christ's stability. He chose you to bear fruit and to pray to that end. We are friends who've been invited to the inner plans of God, with sons and daughters who've been given direction on how best to love one another. So friends, ask and pray and see Him answer. Verse 17, it concludes, these things I command you so that you will love one another. It's a little love sandwich. Jesus finishes off the summary that you'll love one another. Now, by way of application now, what what might prevent us doing this this morning? You're here and you're thinking, this is great. I've got fuel to love one another. Four different fuels. I've... I've got the intensity of Christ's love. I have the example of Christ's love, which is sufficient to deal with my sins and show me how to love. I, I've got the, the election of Christ's love, and I've got the intimacy of Christ's love. This is brilliant. But friends, what actually might prevent us from loving like this this morning? To, to, to go back to the tunnel ball illustration, if you watch young kids play tunnel ball, they're very bad at it, generally, at the beginning. We we're at a children's party, and so they line up. You get them just to line up, and you feel like, if we just did that, we're done. This is just called line-up game. That's the game, we line up. And they do it, and, they, and there's usually the zealous kid who kind of throws it, and he throws it so fast because it's got to get to the back quickly, and it just pelts into the second person's leg. And it pelts into that person's leg, and then what's happened? The ball's gone out the circle. Now, no one knows what, what to do to go and get it. And so eventually, a couple of the kids decide, and so now the whole line's gone to get the ball. And so the whole line gets the ball, and they get the ball back, and now they're all in different order, so they get back in line again. The kid goes, to oh, bring it down a notch. And then he, what do they do next? They like tap it so small it barely gets to the second person. And so the second person passes it through and that person's head hits their back and there's some kid watching birds in the tree and he's, he's got it now and then guess what happens? The ball's out again. It's, I, I think, listen to me, This I think that can just be like Christians trying to love one another. This side of eternity, isn't it? We're just doing our best. If you knew me, you'd be way more understanding of why I'm not that great at loving you. I'm in need I'm in need of God's love, to love you well. I'm like that kid just trying to throw the ball. But you know what? As God's people line up with God's plans of grace, oh, that ball travels through, and we love one another deeply. We care for one another. So I think the the first thing, that the reason that maybe would just stop us loving one another, the thing that would prevent it, I think it's simple. Part of it's just disobedience. It's just disobedience. He says love as he loves, and to be honest, we just don't want to. He says love in ways that are costly, that require sacrifice, prefer others over yourself. Not just love your family, but love God's, his church family. And then maybe we say, well, I love better than most But I just wonder, as I meditate on this passage, have you considered that your lack of love towards others is simply just down to disobedience? You just don't want to obey God. You know what the second reason is? I wrote, really, we're disobedient. (laughs) My flesh doesn't want to love you. If you know your Bible, that shouldn't surprise you. My spirit is eager. Oh. And the spirit ministers the love of Christ and helps me love you. There is such deep affection for you, such warmth. But my flesh is selfish. This verse is telling me it's the very commands of Jesus that will be part of the necessary change agent to help me love one another and to help us love one another. The actual second reason I think it's difficult, it's not disobedience twice, don't worry. It's just the reality that it's hard. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you'll be familiar with Bilbo Baggins' birthday speech. I did pronounce his name correctly. He says this, he says, I don't know half of you half as well as I should like. And I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. He's honest. When I think of the intensity that Christ has loved me, the truth is I don't love half of you as well as you deserve. Because you deserve to be loved like Christ loved me. And that means me giving everything for you. Everything. Everything. Loving one another is hard. We need this morning a fresh sense of God's love for us in Christ to help us walk in obedience and overcome difficulty. And if you're not aware this morning of how you're deficient in love to one, towards one another, then you won't be aware of how supremely sufficient God's love towards you in Christ is. As you're aware of your deficiency, you see his sufficiency. It reveal gaps and gaps that he wants to... Minister into. So let us this morning consider how Christ looks upon us with all our faults, all our missteps, all our misdeeds, all our weakness, and He leans into love. What might this look like as a church? Well, our church has grown numerically over these last six years. There's new faces. And we are growing in love for one another. The tunnel ball of love is happening. And there is room for growth. Part of knowing one another Loving one another is knowing one another. And so that's obviously going to take much more than simply five to ten minutes on a Sunday. So what might this look like? Well, maybe it looks like setting apart Sundays in worship of God and fellowship with His people. Arranging lunchtimes or afternoons and evenings to, to spend time with these people. To learn, to know them, to hear their stories, to minister Christ's love to them. You know, if you did that each week, you, you would you would... Spend quality time with half the members of this church. Secondly, come early. Services, Equip Foundation starts at 8 30. Um, it's open for everybody. You'll hear God's word, you'll hear other people who have the shared interest in our Savior, and you can encourage one another. And lastly, um, start small and push through awkwardness. It's okay, it's hard to talk to people sometimes. That could be your opening line. I'm hard to talk to sometimes. Don't do that if you're, it's not going to probably work, but but that, that could be it. Finding ways, start small. Jesus took responsibility for our sins so we can take responsibility to love others. Friends, the secret shopper is here. The friends of Jesus is here every week and he's called us to love them as he has loved us. Let us pray.